Thank you, Father, for loving us. You're, you're, the, you're the source of life. There's no life outside of you. I thank you, Lord, that we have the treasure. We have you. We have your life in this earthen vessel. That even when we feel weak, that weakness is just a reminder that the power behind our lives is you. And that you're the one that upholds us. That should any good thing ever come out of our mouths, that you're the one that first spoke it. Father, we, just have, we desire to experience your life. We desire to be set free from uh, the, the shackles and the bondages and the fears and the anxieties that are part of the life in this world, Lord. And we just commit that desire into your hands. Let your words be preached. Let your words resonate in people's hearts, Lord. Father, we just thank you that within everybody's heart that hears this message, man, they'll experience the cross inside of their heart. They'll experience this beautiful thing where they give up the ghost, where they lay down the life they can gain from the world, and that in that place they come to fully uh, know and be intimate with your life. Thank you, Father, that this is your will. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way. Amen. Amen. Um, Man, I want to talk about the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. We, we talk a lot about discipleship in Christianity. I mean, we got discipleship courses everywhere. You know, well, you got to be discipled. You got to be discipled. I mean, we write long books and chronicles about discipleship. I think we might be the only church in the whole world where you're not going to find some books about discipleship. Um, but there has been some discipleship that's gone on here. But do you know how it's gone on? Just from us gathering and talking about Christ crucified, right? And the amazing thing is, is when you gather and just talk about Christ crucified, do you know what happens? Jesus disciples people. <laughs> wow! Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. He's the great prophet. And what's amazing is if you actually just talk about the word that was made flesh in him, it's as if he's there. He is here. But when you talk about that, it's as if he's able to manifest and disciple people himself, and they don't need books. A relationship. We can just gather and talk amongst one another about Christ crucified and We'll be like the guy that went to bed day and night and woke, woke up one day with a crop and didn't know how. Just from us gathering together and talking about Christ crucified, the word that was made flesh in Jesus, we'll wake up one day and found that we have been discipled. And that we're walking in the way of the Lord. And we'll know not how. How did that happen? We didn't take any courses. We didn't go on any mission trips. Well, you might, you could, you could go on a mission trip. That's not inconsistent, right? But I, I think we talk a lot about discipleship in Christianity, but what does it really mean to follow Jesus? I mean, when you hear that term, what is it you think immediately inside of your own heart? When you hear, follow Jesus, what does that mean? Well, I, I think for a lot of people in, in Christianity, like Jim says so beautifully all the time, cultural Christianity, Right? I think our Christianity has been shaped by the culture, and even the fact we call it Christianity, I think, is a sign that it's been shaped by the culture. But I don't want to pick a fight with that, that, that term today. But I think for a lot of us, when we think of following Jesus, we think of we got to act right. <laughs> we got to do the right things. We got to behave properly. Right? Like, Jesus did everything right. <laughs> That's our definition of he was without sin. 
and then we say, if we're going to follow Jesus, now we got to do everything right too, right? So don't drink or cuss or smoke or chew or run with those who do. I know, did I get that right? Well, the Bible college I went to, the, the, the director, that's what he used to always say, that he never drank or cussed or smoked or chewed or ran with those who do. That's our idea of following Jesus. It's a morality thing. That's the concept of following Jesus. But I'm going to bring out some of these verses, and I'm probably going to mention them again. But Jesus talked about following him a lot and what it meant. Right? And when he talked about following him, one of the main contexts he talked about was where he was going. He said, I'm going to be with the Father. And so when Jesus talked about following him, he was talking about having intimacy with the Father and intimacy with the Father's life. And so to be a follower of Jesus means to be intimate with the Father that he was intimate with and to have intimacy with the life that's in the Father just like he was. That's what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, he even went on, he said things like, hey, listen, I'm leaving this world and I'm going to be with the Father. And he says, you're not going to be able to follow me now. He said, but you'll be able to follow me later because I'm going to prepare a place for you and then you'll see how I got to the Father. You'll see how that thing went down and then you'll know the way to the Father also and then you'll be able to be with me where I'm at in the bosom of the Father enjoying intimacy with the Father and the Father's love. And so following Jesus is all about you being caught up in the love of the Father. That's what it means to follow Jesus. But that's not what we talk about when we think of following Jesus. You know, when you, when you read, I don't tell people they have to go read the early church fathers or the early church writings. I don't think that's the power unto the fruit of the Spirit. But if you like to read and you like to study, you know, and you read the early church writings, they didn't call the gospel Christianity. Christianity is kind of an ambiguous term. It doesn't really leave you in the place where you get a clear-cut answer about what it's about. Right? Well, you can say little Christians or little Christ. Okay, well, what does that mean? But the early church didn't call the gospel Christianity. They called it the way. They called it the way. And they didn't call themselves Christians. That was a term given to them by the world. Pagans. They called them Christians. So they, they called the gospel the way, and someone who believed on the gospel was called a follower of the way. Definite article, the way. That's what they believed. And what it meant was to be a follower of the way, what it meant is that they followed Jesus. They followed his way. That's what it meant. That they walked the same path Jesus walked. And so when they looked at Jesus, they saw Jesus, Jesus had a way about him. His steps were ordered in a certain way. And when the early church thought about the way of Jesus, when they thought about the path Jesus walked, what they thought about that specific thing, it was the way to inherit the kingdom of God. It wasn't the way to act with people. Although, when you inherit the kingdom of God and you understand what it means that you've inherited God himself inside of your physical body, it will impact the way you deal with people. It will. But they didn't see the way as the way to behave properly with people. When they thought of being followers of the way, they thought of the way to inherit eternal life, the way to inherit the kingdom of God. 
And so when they thought of the path Jesus walked, they thought of the path he walked to inherit the kingdom of God inside of human flesh. That's what they thought of. And when they thought of, well, what is the way that this guy Jesus walked to inherit the kingdom of God? They thought of the cross. If you read the early church writings, they rejoiced in the cross. They were like, oh, hallelujah. Let me grab onto that thing. Paul said he, he, he rejoiced in nothing save the cross. That was the way. To be a disciple of Jesus meant to be followers of the way, and the way that you were following was the way of the cross. But what is even the way of the cross? I mean, we're 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead and entered into the holiest place and sat at the right hand of God. We're 2,000 years removed from Jesus showing us the way to inherit eternal life and to exist and live every day of your life in the bosom of the Father. And most of us still don't even know what the way of the cross is. And I'm sorry to say it this way because it upsets people when I point out these things. You know what I found about people? No one likes to be confronted by the things they say or the things they, no one likes what they say or think to be confronted. They don't want to be asked questions about it. Don't you ask a question. Don't you ask me these things. We become offended. But what is the way of the cross? That's an important thing. The way of the cross. What is the way of the cross? And as members of the body of Christ, I mean, we're members of a body that the head is Jesus. And if his way was the way of the cross, then it would behoove us if we understood the way of the cross too. Don't you think? I mean, if we want to be disciples of Jesus, I mean, it seems like the number one thing would be that we would know what is the way of the cross. And see, the early church, they understood that. They understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. The way you follow Jesus was you followed the way of the cross. And the whole purpose for following the way of the cross is that you would be delivered from the life that's held in the world that's subject to death and corruption, that you would be delivered from the life that's filled with torment and anxiety and fear, and that you would be caught up into intimacy with the Father in the Father's life. That was the whole point of the way of the cross. Now, as you get caught up in the Father's bosom, and you realize you're in the Father's bosom and He's in your bosom, when you walk in this world and you see the Father leaning on you, resting His head on your heart, listen, man, that will impact the way you walk in the world. It will. But what we've done is we've looked at the fruit that comes forth when a person's caught up with the Lord, and we've described that as the way. That ain't the way. That's the fruit that comes forth after someone walks in the way. And so we've made the fruit the way, and now we've tried to attain to life through the fruit, which leaves us living in the world or walking according to the world. Because it's the world's way that says you'll have life by the fruit you can bring forth. So the early church, they followed Jesus. When they thought of following Jesus, they thought of following the way of the cross. In fact, that's what they, this is this dude's message to us as sons, as the children of man. This is his message, the way of the cross. They saw the cross. This is how they saw the cross. I mean, we think of the cross and we like trying to hide from that thing. Lay down my life. No, Hate the life I have from the world. No, But when the early church saw the cross, they saw the cross as the pathway to the Father. 
in the pathway to intimacy with his life. Do you know why? Because they saw Jesus went to the cross and then they saw him go to the father. And they saw that it was through the cross that he went to the father. They saw that it was through the cross that he had full intimacy with all that the father is and all that the father has, because that's where he came out of the grave, animated with the glory of God. So we tend to view the cross as the place of suffering. But those guys saw the cross as the pathway to the father and the pathway to intimacy with his life. That's how they saw it. If you look at John chapter 4, verse 6, I mean, it's a, favorite pa it's a famous passage. It's probably going to take me a, a couple years to unwrap this properly. So thank you guys for bearing with the inadequacy of my explanations. But you'll just have to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. But John 14, 6, it's a famous verse. Jesus, this is talking. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. I think he's talking to Philip. Is it Philip that he's talking to? I think. All the disciples are there. Jesus is talking to Philip, I think. And he says unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now, the context there, when Jesus says that, because he doesn't just say it out of the blue, and it's like a standalone sentence. There's like a whole big context of what's going on there. And in order to understand what he's getting at, you'd have to go back into the beginning of chapter 13 and start reading there. But at the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus is talking about the cross. And he's talking about he's leaving this world. And he says, I'm leaving this world to go to be with the Father. So I'm going to die unto this world. On the cross, I'm going to die unto this world. I'm going to die unto the life that is in the world. And in me dying unto the world, dying unto the life that's in the world, I'm going to go and be with the Father. Now Paul comes and says something very interesting in his writings in Galatians that I'll get to. But Paul said he was crucified with Christ, and the way he explained he was crucified with Christ is he said, I'm dead to the world and the world is dead to me. Well, Jesus said, I'm going to leave the world. And the reason I'm leaving the world is to go and be with the Father. And the way I'm going to leave the world is through the cross. And the cross is not me leaving life or being abandoned from the Father. The cross is actually me leaving the world that's been fathered by sin and death and going to be with the Father and sitting at his right hand. And he says something interesting. He said, where I'm going, you won't be able to follow me now. Right? He says, but I go to the Father to prepare a place for you. And if you keep reading in chapter 13, verse 36, Jesus specifically says that. He says, you can't follow me now, but after I leave this world and go to be with the Father, he tells the disciples, he says, when I go to be with the Father, what's going to happen is you're going to see the way to the Father in his eternal life. You're going to see the path that leads to you having intimacy with the Father in his eternal life. And when you see the path that leads to the Father and, has, and, and gives you intimacy with his eternal life, you'll be able to follow me then. That's why you see Jesus in the same context washing their feet. What's he washing? Their walk. What path, what's a walk? A walk is the path that you're walking in. 
And so Jesus is washing the feet, but it's the same thing we make with following Jesus. We make it about a morality thing. We see Jesus washing people's feet, and now we want to bring in a bucket, and I'm going to wash all you guys' feet, and that ain't got nothing to do with what Jesus was doing. Jesus knew the way to the Father and the way to eternal life. And he knew the way to the Father and the way to eternal life was the cross. He knew that you can't have two fathers. You can't call the world Father and then call God Father. And so he knew the way that he would get to the Father, the way that he would inherit the Father inside of his human flesh, is if he laid down the life that he had from the world. And he knew that in him going to the cross and laying down the life that he had from the world and dying unto the world and the world unto him, he would go to be with the Father. We would see that he was in the Father and the Father was in him when he came out of the grave. And then we would have our wash walked. We'd have our, our walk washed. We would have our feet washed. We would have the path we were walking in cleansed because we would see clearly that the way to inherit the Father, the way to have intimacy with the Father in his life was the cross. So Jesus, he tells disciples, when he goes to the cross, that's what he means when he said, does everybody understand that he left the world by the cross? <laughs> that that's how he left the world? That he left the world by laying down the life he had from the world? That's how he left. So Jesus tells the disciples, listen, guys, when I go to the cross and I leave this world and I go to be with the Father, you're going to see the cross is the way unto intimacy with the Father and intimacy with his eternal life. And then you're going to be able to follow me and be with me in the bosom of the Father, experiencing his love. How many people want to experience the love of God today? You know what everybody really wants? To be loved. I mean, I say the funny thing all the time. We used to say it in junior high. I just want to be loved. Is that so wrong? No. Everybody wants to be loved. In fact, you were created with the intent to be filled with love. <laughs> and so it's normal for you to want love, right? And so everybody that wants love, let me tell you, the way unto being filled with the only love that can satisfy you is the cross. That's what Jesus came teaching. Let me show you the way to be filled with the fullness of God. And guess what? It's going to make foolish the wisdom of the world because it's not going to look like the way to be filled with the fullness of God is to go to a cross. It's not going to look like the way to be filled with the fullness of God is to lay down and forsake the life you can gain from the world. That's going to look like you're losing your life. It's not going to really look like you're gaining your life. It's going to look like you're losing it. And so it's going to make no sense to the wisdom in the world. It's going to make no sense to the carnal mind. But let me tell you something. He who hates the life he has from the world, they will gain their life. That's a confounding statement. And so even if we don't understand everything I say intellectually today, let this thought be in you. Lord, how is the cross the way unto life? I believe that Jesus went to the cross. I believe he taught those things, but I don't understand it. But I, I understand this, Lord. I need life. 
And I understand this dude that was nailed to a tree that looked like he was farthest away from life that anyone could ever be. I feel like that sometimes. I feel like that right now. And somehow that cross was the the pathway for this dude to be filled with life. I don't know how it works, but I need life right now. And I need you to show me how the cross is the path unto life so I can find that cross manifested in me. John chapter 12, this is right before 13, right before 14, where he says, I am the way. What he's really saying is, I'm about to show you the truth that is the way unto inheriting the life of the Father. And the way I'm going to show you is I'm going to the cross. Now listen to what he says in John 12, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Listen, but this is the very next verse. He that loves his life shall lose it. And he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. We don't like that verse. We don't want to hate the life we have in the world. And in fact, do you know where all of our torment is actually contained? We love the life we have from the world. You know why we love it? We've been, it's not because we're bad people. It's not because we're like little devil people in the corner hating God. The reason why we love it is because we think that's where life is found. The reason why we grab so closely to it and hug onto it is because it looks like it's the treasure. It looks like the gold that can pamper us with peace and love and joy. I mean, Jesus looked at the fig tree, and the fig tree had green leaves. And then he got to the fig tree, and the fig tree didn't have any fruit on it. And so he cursed the fig tree. Well, what I, if any of you knows anything about uh, horticulture or agriculture, I don't know which one is the proper term, if a fig, leaf ha- fig tree has green leaves, it's supposed to have fruit. And so it was promising Jesus fruit. And then when he got to it, it had no fruit. And then he cursed it. Now this is symbolic, but the world is like the fig tree. The world promises us that it can clothe us in life. And it shows us all these beautiful things. That would be the green fig leaves on the fig tree. The world shows us all these beautiful things. It shows us all the possibilities, all the different ways we could have what we need to have life. It presents us with all these scenarios, and all the scenarios look good. They look good for food. They look like they can clothe us with life. They look like if we could just sort this out and sort that out and fix this and have that and be saved from this and not have this happen, then we can have life. But listen, man, the world is the fig tree. It can't clothe you in life. The torment we all experience in this world is because we're loving the world. And when I say loving the world, I'm not talking about don't go to the ballet. I'm not talking about you should hate the symphony. The Lord loves the symphony. Why do you think we can even play music? Why do you think we can even dance? I got these funny memes on my Instagram page because I used to like to break dance. I got these funny memes with Jesus breakdancing. And it quotes the verse that says that uh, Jesus, the Son of Man, didn't come to, to, to be served. He came to serve. Because what would happen is when you got into breakdancing competition, 
you would go back and forth. And if you did better than the other person, what you would say is they got served. Right? I just broke it down in a way that they can't match. They got served. <laughs> and so I got this meme with Jesus doing like the windmill. Right? And it says the son of man did not come to be served. He came to serve. So when we talk about not loving the world and not loving the life we have in the world, that doesn't mean you hate concerts. It doesn't mean you hate the symphony. It doesn't mean you hate the ballet. It doesn't mean you hate going to the movies. It doesn't mean you hate fishing. It doesn't mean you hate balling. It doesn't mean you hate building. What it means is, is you look at the life that the world has fathered. You look at all the beauty that the world presents you with, and you look at it and you say, it's actually unable to pamper me with peace and love and joy. It actually can't fill me with life. If you're struggling with that, guess what? You're like every human. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. You're not running behind. You're not behind on the chalkboard of progress. You don't have fewer stickers than the other people. In fact, it's impossible with humans to do that themselves. They need the Holy Spirit to come and discern that for them. And so if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with the truth that the world can't fill you with peace and love and joy, nothing you can gain in the world, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a job, whether it be money, whether it be a status, whether it be a degree, whether it be a ministry, whether it be anything, none of those things can clothe you with life. That's the fig tree. It looks like it can. Why do you think we're busy with it? Adam thought the fig, Adam tried to clothe himself with fig leaves. You know why he thought, you know why he did that? He thought, well, it makes sense. I could clothe myself with that. But after Adam tried to clothe himself with fig leaves, was he clothed or was he still naked? And do you know what Adam was trying to clothe himself in? The fruit of God's life. Because God promised Adam from the beginning that he would decorate Adam in his life. I will clothe you in my life and in the fruit of my life. And so the world is like the fig tree. It's telling us, look at all the beauty that's here. Just use your ability. Gather unto yourself the beauty that's here. The beauty we have in the world, we can father life in you. That life, those thoughts are filled with torment. How many of you have ever felt torment about something you don't have in the world? Every. And, and just to reveal where, where we can be, we think the answer to being set free from the torment is to get the thing we don't have. That's why we needed our wash walked. Our wash walked. Our walk washed. That's the second time I did that backwards. That means I'm going to do it over and over. It gets implanted in your brain. That's why Jesus had to come and show us the way. The way unto what? Wasn't that dude naked on a tree? Didn't he want to be clothed? Wasn't the world telling him, come down off the cross, then you'll be able to have life, preserve your own life? Love the life you have in the world. Don't lay it down. Don't cough it up. Don't reject it. Don't reject the world as your father, but rather look to the beauty in the world and use that to give yourself life. Preserve the life you have in the world. Love the world and love the life you have from the world. That's what it said to this dude who was naked. Who wanted life, wanted to be clothed with life, wanted to be decorated with life, wanted to be filled with the fullness of God. 
But Jesus saw that wasn't the way. And so he laid it down. Matthew 10, verse 38. I mean, you go back to verses 24, 25, and 26. He says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it falls in the ground and dies, it shall bear much fruit. What Jesus is saying is, listen, unless I come and go to the cross and show you laying down the life you can gain from the world, unless I come and show you that the life can't clothe you, unless I come and show you that the world is actually uncovering covering your nakedness, that the world can't father life in you, unless I come and show you that, I'm going to abide alone. But if I come into the world, and I lay down the life I can gain from the world, and I show you that the world can't father life in you, and I show you the way to be clothed in life is by calling upon the name of the Father and looking to the Father for life, then I will bear much fruit because many of you will follow me in the way of the cross, and therefore many of you will inherit eternal life. I mean, hate's a strong word, isn't it? Hate life. Unless you hate the life you have from the world. Why would you hate the life you have from the world? Well, you know why you would hate it? Is if you see that it's impotent. It's dung. Can't give you anything. Then you would hate it. So the answer isn't in your head. Well, I've got to hate the world. I've got to hate the life in the world. No. You need to be persuaded by the Christ and by God and by the Holy Spirit that the life the world has to offer you can't pamper you with peace and love and joy can't satisfy you, can't clothe you, can't make you happy, can't do it. And then you'll lay it down. Matthew 10, 30, I'm going to read all these verses. Jesus says this a lot. Matthew 10, verse 38 and 39. And he that takes not his cross and follow after me. Notice how he says following him is to take his cross. And he that takes not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. You know what we're all trying to do? Find life. And we're all looking for it in lots of places. But he that thinks he finds his life in the world will lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake, he that lays down the life he can gain from the world on account of seeing the way unto life in me shall gain their life. We want more than anything to gain our life. That's what we want more than anything. Well, the, the, what, is, what is the verse that says, uh, man, what's the, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Do you know what seems right to, in the world? That the way you find life is gathering unto yourself all the beautiful things in the world. Well, Jesus comes and says the opposite. He says that will cause you to lose your life. And he says, actually, the way you gain your life the thing you want more than anything is by losing the life you have from the world or laying it down or hating it or counting it as worthless towards the end of serving you with peace. That's how you gain peace. You stop trying to find it in the world. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is still Jesus talking about following him. Listen to what he says about following him. Remember, he just said in John 13 that... He's, going, he's leaving the world, and in leaving the world, he's going to the Father. He can't get to the Father without leaving the world. You can't experience the love of the Father without first laying down the life in the world. It's not possible. 
And so now in all these verses, he's talking about following him, and he mentions it with the cross. So this is Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. And Jesus said to them all, If any person will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall have it. Doesn't that sound like the opposite of what the world says? In fact, if I come and tell people we shouldn't fight to preserve our own life, Christians even, they're going to argue with me. In fact, Christians are some of the most violent people in the world. It shouldn't be that way. But they're fighting to preserve their own life. They're fighting to preserve the world that they think is the pathway unto life. But Jesus says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. So when Jesus looked like he was losing his life on the cross, what was the world saying to him? Save yourself. Save yourself. Save your life. Save your life. Why would they say that to him? Because it looked like he was losing his life. But do you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I was gaining life. I agree with you guys that life is good and you should want life. But I got a different way of attaining to life than you do. And the only way to attain to real life is by laying down the life you have in the world. <clears throat> That's what he says. Matthew chapter, 20, or chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. These are some of my favorite passages. They're, they're quoted all the time. You can say a lot of things out of these passages. We'll just read them. Um, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. He talks about lowly in heart there. John talked about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lowly of heart is the opposite of the pride of life. Right? The pride of life is where you're lifted up in your heart thinking that you're going to exalt yourself unto peace and love and joy by the things in the world you can gather to yourself. That's what it means to the pride of life, right? Jesus was lowly in heart, meaning he didn't think he could be exalted unto life by the things, the riches in the world or what he could gather to himself in the world. He didn't think he could gather life to himself. He didn't think he could be exalted unto life by the good he could have happened to him here. He didn't think of it that way. So learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now listen, one of the primary themes in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus coming as the great prophet that Moses said would come in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, when Moses is giving them the words of the law, or the logic in the law, which is the teaching and instruction that's unto life, Moses says, one's going to come after me in the likeness of me, a prophet. He said, hearken ye unto him. He's going to come and explain the doctrine in the law and the prophets. He's going to come and explain the doctrine of God. The doctrine of God, by the way, is the teaching and instruction about how you can inherit life. It's the teaching and instruction that shows you the path to inheriting God himself. That's the doctrine. And so Matthew is from that perspective of Jesus coming as that God. 
So when Jesus says, come unto me, he's talking as rabbi or teacher or prophet. He's talking like that. And he's really, he's, he's busy with discipleship. He's talking discipleship there. He's talking as a rabbi would talk. In that time, in the first century, if you were a rabbi and you were talking to people that were following you, you would say, take my yoke upon you. And what that meant was, take my doctrine upon you. Take my teaching upon you. Learn of my way. That's what is going on. So Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's talking as rabbi, master. He's talking as teacher, and he says, Learn of me. My way is filled with meekness, and it will serve you with rest. Meekness. Do you know what meekness means? I mean, our definition of meekness in the world is more like timid. Meekness is not the same as timid. It's not the same as timidity, if that's even a word. When Jesus says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And so meekness means to think little of your own ability and little of the ability in the world to serve you with life. It means you look at the strength you see in yourself and the strength you see in the world and you think nothing of its ability to fill you with peace and love and joy. You think nothing of its ability to fill you with life. You look at it and you, you basically say, it can't serve me with life. It can't fill me with life. That's not the only part of it. That's the first half of it. The second part of meekness is that you would think much of God's goodness towards you, and you would think much of his ability to give your life the care that it needs to be exceedingly fruitful and prosperous in the fruit of the Spirit. So simply put, meekness means to think nothing of your ability and the ability of the world and the things in the world to be able to pamper you with the fruit of the Spirit and give your life the care that it needs. It means you look at the world and you say, the world can't be the father that I need. I see all the things the world has. I see the house of the world. I see the estate of the world. I see all the goods the world has. And I look at those things and I come to the place where I realize they cannot pamper me with peace and love and joy. They cannot give my life the care that it needs. Those things cannot care for my life in such a way that I'm going to be filled with love. That's what meekness means. And it means to think much of God's ability to give your life the care that it needs for you to be prosperous in the fruit of the Spirit. That's what meekness means. So Jesus says, learn of my way, for my way is full of meekness. My way will cause you to think nothing of the world's ability to pamper you with life. And it will cause you to think everything of God's ability to satisfy your desire for life, what will happen is, is you'll stop trying to find life in the world and you'll begin seeking the Father for the life you desire. That's what will happen. Now listen, see, we have a reference point now. But before Jesus came, we didn't have a reference point as human beings. That's why the life in the world looks like a treasure. It looks like a treasure for us because we're not weighing it up against what we ought to be weighing it against to determine whether or not it can feed us with life. You see, Jesus had a reference point for what life was. He didn't come into the earth with no idea about what life was. He didn't come into the earth with no idea about where peace and love and joy was found. He had a reference point. He had a frame of reference by which he judged life because he came from the Father. 
He was with the Father from the beginning. He saw the glory of the Father. He saw the goodness in the Father's heart towards his life. He saw the kind of care the Father could give him. He saw the life he had, the Father had in himself. He saw the life he shared with the Father from the beginning. He saw the glory of the Father's life. So he knew exactly what life looked like. There was no confusion in him. When he looked at the life of the Father that he shared with the Father from the beginning, do you know what he never saw? He never saw rust. He never saw corruption. He never saw decay. He never saw a plague. In fact, he saw something that couldn't be corrupted. He saw something that wasn't subject to moth and rust. And so his frame of reference for real life is a life that's incorruptible, that isn't able to be corrupted. But everything he saw in the world was subject to corruption. Everything he saw in the world was already corrupted. Why do you think Jesus didn't try and find a wife? Do you know how many people think that if you find a wife, you'll find peace? Nothing wrong with being married. But don't think in being married, you're going to find peace. That's loving the world. And that could subject you to a whole lot of torment. Rather, if you want to get married, get married from the perspective of, I already have life. I ain't trying to get life. Therefore, no matter how it goes, in my marriage, it can't take life from me. Neither can it add life to me. Now you could just walk with people together. Right? So Jesus had a reference point for, for life because he saw the glory of life. He saw the Father's intent to manifest that same glory he shared with the Father from the beginning in his earthen vessel. And do you know what it did that he had a reference point for life? And I just want to tell everybody now, we also have a reference point for life now. The same reference point Jesus had. Do you know why? Because we have the resurrection. That's what real life looks like. That exercises our senses to discern for us whether or not the world can give us life or not. Whenever you're asking yourself, is this thing in the world, can it really fill me with peace? Ask yourself, can it overcome death in the flesh? Can it raise you up out of the grave? If you get the job that you want, will it keep you from dying? If you get the spouse that you want, will it keep you from going to the grave? If you get the government you want, does that mean You'll never go to the grave and die. So Jesus had a reference point, and what that did was it exercised his senses. It discerned for him the way that was full of life, the way that was dripping with life, and the way that was oozing with death. It discerned the life that the world could father. And what it did was it discerned for him that the life that the world could father, the best that the world could father was full of death and corruption and fear and anxiety and worry. Jesus saw there's a whole lot of cares to the life that's in the world. I mean, you got to defend yourself all the time. You got to prove yourself all the time. You got to avoid something bad happening to you all the time. And if you can't avoid something bad happening to you, the life that's in the world will now be tormented for all time by the bad that happened to you. Jesus saw the life, the world, the life that the world could father as a fig tree. Just like we talked about. He saw the life the world offered him. Satan took him up on top of the mountain, showed him the whole world, all the kingdoms of the world. 
offered it to him. Why didn't he take it? It wasn't because he's super spiritual, like the sense we think of. He's full of so much integrity. He is full of integrity. But there's a reason why he didn't take it. There was a faith in him that said, even should I gain, what good is it I gain all the kingdoms of the world and I lose my life? He realized that gaining everything that the world had to offer wouldn't result in life. He saw that it was a fig tree. He saw that the world promised to clothe you with life. The world promised to be able to give you peace and love and joy. But in the end, it would always leave you naked. In the end, it would always leave you clothed in thorns and thistles because the only kind of life the world can father is a corruptible life that's full of death. Jesus saw that way. He saw that was what was in the world. There was no confusion for Jesus. When Jesus looked at trees, he thought trees are beautiful. When he looked at the water, he thought the water is beautiful. When he looked at the sky, he thought the sky is beautiful. So there's things that he enjoyed about the earth. But he didn't look at the life in the world and think that that was beautiful. He saw it for what it was. In Proverbs 4.23, it's a famous verse we all know. It says, out of the heart flow the issues of life. You guys know the verse? Out of the heart flow the issues of life. Now I want you to remember what I just said about what Jesus saw about the life in the world. Because we're talking about Jesus now. Out of his heart flowed the issues of life. Right? And so what he saw about life and where real life was found, out of what he believed about that flowed the issues of his life. Out of what he believed about that, it led him to the cross. And I asked people in the Bible study today, if Jesus didn't come to remove the sin of the world, if he was just the, the, from heaven and he was in the earth, would he still have ended up on the cross? Would he still have ended up on the cross? Thank you. But that thought is a perplexing thought for us because we only think of Jesus as Messiah. And we don't think about there being a faith in Jesus' heart that would have resulted in him being crucified even if he hadn't come to take away the sin of the world. Do you know why? Because he never would have tried to preserve his life in the world. He never would have tried to defend himself. He never would have picked up the sword. He never would have tried to justify himself. He never would have opened his mouth to defend himself against any accusations. He never would have tried to preserve his life. Because he never thought that life was found in preserving the life he had from the world. And so out of what was in his heart flowed the issues of his life. And what happened was, is Jesus saw the Father was perfect. He saw the perfection of the Father to serve him with life. He saw the Father was perfect as the one that loved his life. He saw the Father was perfect as the one that could give his life the care that it needed. He saw the life the world fathered was fragile. It was full of weakness. He hated the life he could gain from the world. And what that means is he saw the power the world had to serve him with life. He saw all the good he could gain, all the good he could experience in the world, and he saw it was of no power to serve him with life. Well, we're all the time thinking that life is found in the world. We talk all the time about people not living full lives because they died early in the world. Jesus died at 33. I challenge you to find anyone that lived a fuller life than him. But that makes foolish the wisdom of the world. Look at all the things he didn't get to do. That just reveals that we think life is found in the world. That's what that reveals. 
And there's no shame in that, but we want to start having our thoughts discerned for us by the truth. Jesus saw the life the world could father for him was full of death and corruption and fears and worries and burdens. That caused him to walk a certain way. The way it caused him to walk was the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is not just that you end up nailed to a wooden tree, although our Lord ended up nailed to a physical wooden tree. The way of the cross is that because you see the world can't add one cubit of stature to you, you lay down the life you can gain from the world. That's the way of the cross. You hate the, the life you can gain from the world. We fight so hard to hold on to the life in the world. I promise you the pain you feel is from the life that the world fathered. And the way of the cross is you lay down the life that's full of pain. <laughs> so we're holding on to no, no, no. It did something in Jesus, what he saw about the world, the life the world could father and the life that was in the father of lights. It did something in him where it caused him to not pick up the sword. What did Peter want to do? He wanted to preserve Jesus's life, didn't he? And how did he thought that was going to happen? Take the sword and keep Jesus from the cross. But Jesus knew the cross was where he would gain life. Why do you think he told Peter, get you behind me, Satan? When Peter, never let it be said, Lord, you won't go to the cross. You're trying to keep me from life, bro? We're about to have a misunderstanding. Satan tries to keep you from the cross. You know how Satan tries to keep you from the cross? He tries to convince you that the life that's in the world can father peace in you. He tries to get you to identify with the life in the world. He tries to get you to see life as being held in the things in the world, the happenings in the world, what happens to you in the world, and what goes on in the world. Because if he can get you to think that, guess what you're going to be doing? Trying to find life in the world. Guess what you're going to be doing? Fighting to preserve your life in the world. Guess what that will cause? It will cause you to lose the life you have. The, the, the faith in Jesus' heart about where life was found, it filled him with grace to lay down the life he could gain from the world. It led him to the cross. The faith in his heart led him to the cross. And it's at the cross that he died to the world and the death and the sin and the life that's in the world. It doesn't say he died unto life. Paul said he died unto sin and death. The cross is the foundation from where Jesus put off death and where he was made alive unto God. That's the foundation of where all this stuff happened. That's the foundation from where Jesus was made fully alive. It's the foundation from where he became fully intimate with the eternal life of the Father, the cross. And I promise you, do you know what God's trying to do through Jesus and through the gospel? He's trying to bring all of us to the cross. He's trying to bring all of us to the place where we look at the best the world can give us and we say it's worthless. <coughs> because in that place is where we're going to be made alive to God. Not just in theory, in experience. I mean, you're alive to God in theory now. The tree of life is right there. I'm talking about an experiential knowledge. I'm talking about where you knowing the love of God. You've been filled with the height, you've been filled with the height, the breadth, the width, the length of the love of God. 
The way, of the, the way of Jesus is the cross. God's trying to bring forth the cross in us. Not just physically. Jesus went to the physical cross, but God's trying to do something in our heart where we experience the cross in our heart. Do you know why he wants you to experience the cross in, the heart, in your heart? Because everything that torments you is from the life that you have from the world. He wants you to experience the cross in your heart because if you lay down the life you think you can gain from the world, you'll be free from all the torment that comes with the life that's in the world. That's why he wants to do it. He knows you can't perfect the life in the world. Because God knows that the, world, the life in the world can't be perfected from death. It fathered death. <laughs> He's not confused about it. We're very confused about it. We think if we could just perfect what we have here, if we could just get it situated just so. God's like, no, bro, that's what's killing you. That's why you feel so tormented. If you could just lay that down, right? So Jesus' way is the cross. His way is unto the cross. There's a way that leads to the cross. There's a way that will result in the cross. There's a way that will result in a person laying down the life they have from the world. There's a way that will cause a person to no longer take thought of nurturing themselves unto life. There's a way that will cause someone to stop taking thought of how they can serve themselves with life. It's the way of Jesus, his doctrine, his teaching. His way will lead a person to take up their cross. And he doesn't leave you looking to your willpower to take up your cross. His doctrine, his teaching... His faith will produce something in you. It will give birth to something in you that will cause you to give up the ghost. It will cause you to be dead to the life in the world and the life in the world to you. It will cause you, his doctrine, his teaching will give you intimacy with the same faith that exercised his senses, that allowed him to see the world as a fig tree. And it will cause you to start seeing the best you can gain from the world as a fig tree. You'll start to see that everything that's beautiful that the world offers you, you'll start to see it it's as the fig tree with leaves that promises fruit but ever doesn't have any fruit to give. You'll have your senses exercised and you'll no longer look at the world as if the world can father peace in you. And in that place, you'll lay down what you can gain from the world. You'll look at the life that's in the world and you'll hate it. And it's in that place that you'll gain life. You'll gain the eternal life of God. You'll shed the body of death. You'll shed the life that's filled with trauma. Most people, the life they have from the world, it's filled with trauma. And we think the answer is to fight to preserve the life that's in the world or to keep the life in the world from trauma. You can't keep the life in the world from trauma. It's fathered trauma. That's the way of Jesus. He doesn't come and say, you got to go to your cross because I did. Put on your big boy pants. I mean, we like to say that to each other, right? Put on your big boy pants. Put on your big girl pants. Suck it up. Jesus don't come say, suck it up. He knows out of the heart flow the issues of life. The father didn't tell Jesus, suck it up. Just deal with it, bro. The father produced something in Jesus. The father had inside of Jesus the faith that the world couldn't father life in him. I promise you, you don't fight for something that you don't think can give you life. You know why we fight to pr preserve our good name? Because we think life is found in having a good name. You only, you only, all you got your word, don't you know? 
Some of you guys grew up hearing that a lot more than people hear it today. No, all you got's God. <laughs> he doesn't tell you to go to the cross. He produces something in you that your senses are exercised. And when you look at the life in the world, it no longer smells like roses. Do you know what it smells like? Death. You ever got stuck behind the garbage truck? This dear brother back here made me a bunch of seafood, him and his wife. It was awesome. Becky and I are still debating on what we think has caused the smell in my car. <laughs> but I promise you, there's a smell in that car that no one's got to tell you not to want to get into it. Your senses have been exercised to understand that that does not smell like life, right? And I put the trays on that seat, and they're not even. And so one of the theories is that a bunch of the seafood juice fell out into the seat. And, you know, it smells fine in the moment, but once it gets into this foam seat, it festers there for a while. My goodness. Dead fish. For the, at the risk of offending everybody, I figure I've already offended everybody, so I don't care. But there's a movie called The Shining. And in one of the scenes in The Shining, Jack Nicholson goes into this hotel room. And when he gets into the hotel room, he sees a beautiful, what looks like a beautiful woman. And he's like, wow. He's like the guy in, in the book of Proverbs, the foolish guy that sees the woman with the fine linens, the strange woman with the fine linens and the perfumes and goes in under her bed. Well, Jack walks into that room and he sees what he thinks is this beautiful woman. And so he's drawn to the beautiful woman and he starts making out with the beautiful woman, what looks like a beautiful woman. And all of a sudden he opens his eyes and he sees he's making out with a corpse. Do you think somebody had to tell him to stop making out with the corpse? Or do you think his senses told him, get away from that corpse? He, he, you couldn't stop that dude from trying to get out of the room. And so God doesn't come and say, you better take up your cross. He knows how the heart works. What he's trying to do is unveil for you that what the world's showing you, it looks like it smells like roses. It looks like it's soft linen, like it can pamper your flesh. It looks like it's full of treasure and it's full of a life. It looks like it can give you life. It looks beautiful. It does. But God comes to exercise your senses so you can see that it's actually decay. And you begin to smell the stench of death. And you no longer see it as life, but you see it as death. And when you see it as death, you don't look at it as losing your life. You look at it as gaining your life, which is what Jesus said. It sounds like a contradiction. You don't look at it as laying down life. You look at it as laying down death. And then no one can stop you from getting to the cross. And then you find yourself boasting in the cross. You're knocking people over to get there because you don't see the cross as the place where you lose life. You see the cross as the place where you lose death. You see the cross as the place where you use the life that's in the world that's full of torment. And you see the cross as the place where you gain life, which is what Jesus said. Does that make any sense? That's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus isn't, you better do what he did. The way of Jesus is he believed something. And out of what he believed, his life came forth. He's trying to show you the same thing he believed. 
So the same thing that came forth in him that led him to the cross will come forth in you and lead you to the cross. The same thing that caused him to go to be with the Father and be in the bosom of the Father, that that same thing would happen in you where you would go to the cross, you would lay down the life you had from the world, you would be dead to the world and the world to you, and that you would be living all your days animated by the life of the Father. The way of Jesus. You can't have intimacy with the Father outside of the cross. You can't. It's not possible. You can't experience the life of God without first laying down and taking no thought of the life you can gain from the world. You can't. You can't experience the Father's comfort when you're actively trying to comfort yourself with the world. Seeing your life as being held in the world, in the things of the world, and what happens in the world, seeing your life as being held in those things, it's a stumbling block to intimacy with the Father. It's a stumbling block. And First John says it this way, those who love the world, the love of the Father isn't in them. We always looked at that as, well, they're demon people and we hate them. What he's saying is, those who think, Life is found in the world. They're not filled with the love of the Father. And they're actually filled with torment and filled with fear. Is what he's saying there. That's what he's saying there. Identifying with the life that's in the world, thinking the care your life needs is found in the world, beholding your life in the world and what happens to you in the world and what you have in the world, that will keep Christ from being a full effect in your life while you're here. Well, Greg, what happens if something bad happens to me? Well, if something bad happens to you, man, you can weep with the Father and then be encouraged in the truth that the world isn't the Father of your life and that your life isn't hidden in the world, but your life is hid with God in Christ. You can behold your life in the perfect law of liberty where you can see how God got it right to deliver your life from the world and how you're dead to the world and the world to you. What if something horrible happens to me? I'm dead to the world. Greg, what if they kill you? What if they destroy your whole ministry? What if they take your life? What if they strip you naked and nail you to the tree? I'm dead to the world and the world to me. Does that sound confusing? Yeah, well, good, because the gospel is confusing to the carnal mind. In fact, it sounds like foolishness. I just want to say it this way. Jesus says in Matthew 6, and we'll finish with this, but Jesus says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't have two masters. Well, in the same way, you can't have two fathers. You can't identify with the life that's been fathered by the world and the life that's been fathered by God in Christ. You'll love the one and hate the other. Whichever life you think is the treasure that can satisfy your desire for peace, that is where your heart will be. That is the one that even though you don't know it, you're calling the world father. When you think the life that's in the world can father peace in you, you're calling the world father. And if you're calling the world father, you're despising the father of light in your heart. 
you're despising his life. You're loathing the bread from heaven. And if you look at the Hebrews, when they came out of the Exodus, in the Exodus, the, the Hebrew guys, they despised the manna. We see that and we're like, how could they do that? And we don't realize we spend almost every day of our lives doing the same thing. Seeing that everything, we, the nutrients we needed for life, that which could nurture us unto peace, is in the Father. He's given it to us in the cross, but the cross don't look nice to the flesh. And so we despise the manna that will feed us with life. We despise the way unto life because we want the life that the world has. They loathed the life God had in himself. You know why they did? Because they loved the life they could gain from the world. It says they cried out for what? Flesh. What happened to those Hebrews, dudes? They lost their life, didn't they? Didn't Jesus say those who try to find their life in the world will lose their life? But those who lay down the life they can have from the world will gain their life? That's what those Hebrews dudes were doing. They were calling the world father. They were calling the world father. <clears throat> Guys, the cross... Within the cross, within the faith of, that was revealed in Jesus on the cross, is the strength of God to form his life in you. That is his muscle to produce life in you, the cross. That's where he flexes out. And I, I even want to quote uh, Paul. I think the Apostle Paul, I think it's in 1 Corinthians. He says, the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. Well, what looked like weakness to the carnal mind at the cross, what looked like weakness according to the flesh at the cross and according to the wisdom of the world and the carnal mind, according to the strength that is seen in the flesh, that is actually the strength of God. What looks like weakness to the carnal mind is the strength of God. It's the very power of God to produce life in you. He can't produce his life in you unless he produces something in you where you no longer call the world father, but you call him father. That's what was going down at the cross. Jesus rejected the world as father. The world cannot father life in me. Only God can. And that's what he did at the cross. That's the grace, the strength. The grace, the strength to experience the power of the resurrection, it's found in the cross. That's where the grace and the strength is, at the cross. And so what's at the cross for you? It isn't just talking about this guy Jesus was nailed to a physical tree. He was. And that plays a big role in it. But what does that mean for you? How are you crucified with Christ? What does that look like for you? Paul says he was crucified with Christ in his letter to the Galatians. He later described that as he's dead to the world and the world to him. And he said that was the foundation from where his life was animated with the power of the resurrection. Was the cross. Was realizing he's dead to the world and the world to him. I was crucified with Christ. I laid down the life I had from the world. And that's the foundation from where Christ began living in me. And not Christ the person like a bobblehead doll, but Christ the very life of God. That's the place where we die to the world, the cross. That's the place we die to the world. And it's the place where we're made alive to the life of God. It's the place where you see the strength in the world is impotent. It's the place where you see the world can't father life in you. 
It's the place where you die to the life that's been fathered by the world. It's the place where you reject the world as the one who can father your life because you see the world can't give your life the care it needs. You want to see what the world can produce for you? What do you see in Jesus on the cross? Does that look beautiful? Does that look like the life you want? Do you know the cross is God trying to exercise our senses and pull the veil back so we could see what the world's really offering us? I mean, didn't the first Adam think he could be clothed by the fig leaves? After he tried to clothe himself by the fig leaves, was he clothed or was he naked? Well, there's Jesus. What do you think the death of that cross was? That's what the world clothed him in. That's God trying to show us what the world has to give us. That death. Do you want that? It's the place where you reject that life. No. I won't have my life bothered by that. That produces something in us where we lay down the life we can gain from the world. And that's the place where the life of Christ is made full effect in us. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of the cross. The Holy Spirit's been poured out to produce the way of the cross in you, to open your eyes so you could see the world is like the strange woman. The perfume smells rosy. The linens look nice, looks beautiful, but you see the bed is full of death. And that causes you to give up the ghost, lay down the life you have from the world. Thank you, Father, that the work of life is yours. Thank you, Father, that you poured out your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to exercise our senses so we could see the best the world has to offer. We could see that it can't offer us life. Thank you, Father, that you bring forth the cross in all of our lives, that you bring forth something in us where we lay down the life we could gain from the world. Thank you, Father, that you bring something forth in us that when we begin to see the life we can gain from the world, we don't see it as being beautiful. We don't see it as a treasure, but rather we see it as being corrupted by moth and rust. Thank you, Father, that it's your strength that causes us to lay down the life in the world, that you produce something in us where we no longer look at it as losing life, but we look at it as gaining our life. Thank you, Father, for leading us in the way of the cross. Thank you for coming and grabbing us by the hand and leading us in the path of the cross. Thank you, Father, for showing us that your hand is resting upon us even when we're in the midst of feeling naked and feeling like we're losing our life, showing us that our life is hidden in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all have a great Christmas if I don't see you guys.